All right, well, good morning, church. It's good to see you. It's good to be here to share God's word with you this morning. Uh, We're going to be in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Let it be. Let it be. I know you all got tired of all that in-between stuff. It was difficult and convicting for me. I don't know about y'all. But hey, it's time. We're back to 1 Thessalonians 4. And don't worry, it's not going to be any more convicting than the last few sermons. Wow. <clears throat> I'm not going to speak for the Holy Spirit on that one, okay? Let's, uh, let's turn our hearts and minds to the Lord and, and just pray and ask for God's blessing on our time that His Spirit would work and move in our hearts as we come to His Word. So let's pray. Father, we, uh, we come to you this morning and... Lord, I pray and I hope with thankful hearts before you, just for life, God, for the opportunity to be here gathered with your people declaring your praises. And and Lord, we come now to this time of the preaching of your word and we continue to express our dependence upon you. Lord, I'm so thankful for your word and the message that you have made sure reached us. And I pray today as, as we proclaim the word, God, I pray that I, I ask that your spirit would move among us, that your spirit would prepare our hearts for the message we're about to receive and that we would respond as doers of the word, that we would be ready to say, yes, Lord, I want to walk with you faithfully. Draw me closer to you. So Lord, please hear our hearts and I pray you would work in ways that are so beyond our comprehension to produce in us a spiritual growth that is for our good, but for your glory. So we pray this in the name of Jesus this morning, and we pray it all together. Amen. Amen. Well, our title today, as the choir makes their way back into their seats, Sex and Spiritual Health. I remind you, Children's Church is available for first through sixth graders. The rest of you. Now, actually, my my children are in here. I will do my best to be uh, mature about the subject, uh, but but direct and honest about it according to what we find here in in the Scripture. But did you ever think of the idea of sex and spiritual health being connected? That one does have an influence on the other. They do. Think about this. That the question, does God really care about our sexuality? And absolutely, we can go through kind of a logical progression. If, if God created us and he designed us intentionally, every aspect of us, including our sexuality, then yes, he cares. He doesn't do anything without purpose. So his design and and his rules that he gives are designed to keep us within the boundaries of his design in the healthiest place for us, both physically and spiritually. I want to read the text that we're going to go, well, to be honest, I think we're only going to get through verse 5, but I'm going to read 1 through 8. All together, and then we're going to unpack it. So 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible, and you can follow along either on screen or in your own Bibles. 
And you can also take notes in the bulletin. There'll be a few points to keep up with and anything else you want to write down. But the text of 1 Thessalonians says this. Additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction from us on how you should live and please God, as you are doing, do this even more. For you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality. That each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God, This means that one must not transgress against and take advantage of a brother or sister in this manner because the Lord is an avenger of all these offenses, as we also previously told and warned you. For God has not called us to impurity, but to live in holiness. Consequently, anyone who rejects this does not reject man, but God who gives you his Holy Spirit. May God bless the reading and now the continuation, the preaching of his word. The, the, the section here starts with the word additionally. And, and this word is inserted here as a grammatical break between the first three chapters, the, the first section in which Paul is expressing his thankfulness for the church and his encouragement to the church. And now he moves on to kind of a new section in this letter. He's, he is going now into a section on instruction and encouragement and uh, exhortation, meaning brothers and sisters, here are the things that I want to emphasize for your well-being, for your growth in Christ. And so he's going to cover these things. He's going to cover sexual purity. He's going to talk about brotherly love and our interaction as brothers and sisters. And and then he's going to talk about the return of Jesus one day and how we as Christ followers should live in the meantime as we eagerly await his return. So we we dive in and unpack this further. He says, additionally then, brothers and sisters, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus. So let's just take a quick look at that, ask and encourage. So ask is what it sounds like. He's asking them something, but it's kind of this combination with this question or the statement of encouragement, which is this idea of a calling out, a, a, a bringing in of consolation and comfort He is earnestly pleading with this church, hear, hear my words. Hear the the call to you to hear this message that is coming from the Lord Jesus. Not, Not my own opinions here, Paul is expressing, but from the Lord. Please take the time, understand how important this is, and tune in. So here he instructs them that it is coming from the Lord Jesus, and he is pleading with them to listen in on how you should live. This is what he describes to them. This is how you should live and please God, that your life and pleasing God are the same thing, ought to be the same thing as a Christ follower, that we are living under the purpose of pleasing God. Now, take the word please. To please somebody is to give pleasure to somebody. Have you ever thought about the life that you, lit, that you lead and the actions that you do every day? Do you think about those things as an opportunity to give pleasure to the creator of the universe? The creator and maker of you and the person that died for us on the cross. We have the opportunity to live in a way to give pleasure to him 
to bring enjoyment to him in each aspect of our lives. So it should cause us to pause and go, why do we do some of the things that we do as Christians? Why does God give some of these instructions? Is it just to take all the fun out of life? That's a question. It's okay to answer. Uh, all right. you know, do we not sometimes feel that way just a little bit? God's rules, they just, he just didn't want us to have fun. If we're honest with ourselves, would we maybe admit that sometimes it feels that way? But, but there, you know what, I, there's just so many mature believers in this room already. You know that it's way more fun. It's way more pleasing to live for the Lord and experience the goodness of living within his boundaries because he actually created us a certain way and we receive the most joy as we walk with him. I think of the uh, author and pastor and speaker, John Piper, who writes and spoke this message over and over that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And if we think about the, the implication of what that means, it means that we are happiest and healthiest when we're delighted and satisfied and content in pleasing and glorifying God. And that means honoring his rules, his boundaries for us. And I love, I love how Paul is such an encouraging guy. Look at how he says this, as you were doing, I want to encourage you. I'm asking you and encouraging you to, in the Lord Jesus, to do these things. That this is how you should live as you're doing, but do it even more. He's saying you're doing a great job, and I want to encourage you to keep on that path and keep encouraging it more and more among the brothers and sisters in the faith. Brothers and sisters at Lakeside, I, I, I've been here almost two years, and I get to see so many of your walk with God and, and how you interact with Him, and I see so many of you seeking to please God and serve God, and it's wonderful. Do it even more. Keep going. Please encourage me to keep going. But today, we're going to talk about pleasing God, particularly in this area of sexual purity. Point number one this morning as we, as we go further here is this a resolve, a resolve to please the Lord more and more motivates sexual purity. You see, if we just think about sexual purity as this, this system, this complex group of rules that we have to follow and we have to stay within and it doesn't allow us to experience other things and, and enjoy certain pleasures that others may seem to be enjoying, we might lose heart in following the rules. But what motivates the Christ follower is a commitment to please God. It's the foundation of sexual purity. Have you decided personally, brother and sister, have you decided on a course of action that says, I am going to please you, Lord, in this area of my life. If anything else is your motivation other than pleasing the Lord, I, I will argue that it is too limited. If you're a, a younger person and it's just, your parents tell you, you know, it's just better, trust me. And you go, I don't know if that's convincing. I, I assure you, let me direct you to honoring God in sexual purity by seeking to please him first. 
The reason for doing it is to please him, not just to somehow satisfy your parents' wish. If you desire to please self, and you live to please self in regard to sexuality, then your spiritual health will suffer. We cannot have it both ways. But when we resolve to please the Lord, in our sexuality especially, we recognize God as our creator and designer. We give praise to God for his good design because he designed human sexuality with purpose and wonder. He created male and female. I gotta tell you, this was a strange sermon to put together. I mean, I mean I've talked about sexual purity in sermons before, but I, I tell you, unlike so many days before, I, I feel like I have to emphasize the reality that God created male and God created female. And that is part of his wonderful design. And if we do anything to ignore what he has created or to deny what he has created, we're going to miss out and we're going to deviate from his appropriate boundaries. He also formed the relationship known as marriage. He instituted marriage. It is a God-designed relationship, marriage is, marriage and the family. And we will most honor and please our creator when we operate as we have been designed. But more than creator, our Lord is also our savior. He is the one who came and was executed on a Roman cross in our place to receive our punishment, the wrath of God for all our sins, our sexual sins and other. So when we seek to honor him, we're honoring the one that paid the price for our deviation, for our perversion, and for our rebellion. That's who we're honoring. That's who we're pleasing. So when we realize that he's provided for us in, in just simple salvation, the forgiveness of our sins, we realize that we have even more reason to honor and please him, period. What an incredible savior we have. But as Paul says, to do this more and more, our resolve to please the Lord needs to be a more and more. How many of us have thought about sexual purity as a sense of a season? I've, I've got to be pure during this season of my life. I, I can admit that I did. You know, as a teenager growing up, I, I was part of the, I think they call it the purity culture or something. You know, like us young Christian kids, when I was a young Christian kid was, hey, you know, save sex for marriage and, and be pure. And so do things like courting and don't kiss anybody until you're ready to be married or until you're engaged to them and stuff like that. And you know what? I had in my mind, okay, God, I want to honor you. I want to please you. So God, I'm going to save myself for marriage. I'm going to be pure. And, and it was a struggle. I'm going to admit, physically, though, though I was physically pure, I was not mentally and emotionally pure. 
but I convinced myself I was pure because I was just physically pure. But I got to tell you, that was a battle. Can anyone relate to that battle? Come on, y'all. You know what I always say, embrace awkward, okay? So y'all looking at me like looking uncomfortable. It's making me uncomfortable, so we're just going to embrace awkward here. But you know what? I thought, okay, once I get married, there's going to be a place for that, and so therefore, I won't struggle with purity anymore. You can laugh. <laughs> I, was, I was young and naive, but see, purity is more than just a season of life. Purity is from day one to day entering eternity. Do you have a growing desire to please the Lord more and more every day? And maybe you feel your level of commitment is good, but you go, I still, it's, I still want to grow. It's still, I want more. Good. That's what we should feel. That's what we should be doing. And even what I just alluded to, it is strange that we can keep the commands of God in a physical and outward sense without actually desiring to please the Lord. Have you ever done that? And you know what? Those are some of the most miserable people, aren't they? When we do that, we're some of the most miserable people. Yeah, how are you doing today, Justin? Oh, I'm doing great, brother. I'm doing just fine. I mean, life's just kind of stinky right now. I mean, I, we don't say that, but we're like, oh, just these rules. And I, I'm doing everything right, but I just don't feel good. But I'm telling you, it's about a desire to please the Lord from the heart. Sexual purity will come from a desire to please the Lord from the heart. You see, we humans, we have a tendency to desire what is forbidden. So, if a line is drawn in the sand, what do we find our nature doing? How close can I get to that line without crossing? I mean, my upper body's over the line, but my foot's still, whoa, whoa. But what we don't realize is it's a vortex. It's a whirlpool. And what we don't realize is God created these boundaries so that it would turn our hearts towards him. And when we're facing the line, our hearts are far from the Lord. And so we need to look at God's boundaries as a place of safety, a place where we get to fully enjoy his good gifts at the right time and in the right place. And we can turn our hearts to him and worship in all of it. Because the whole purpose of all these instructions is to teach us to please the Lord, to strive to do so more and more. That ought to be our desire. Verse 2 of 1 Thessalonians 4 says, it kind of continues in that, for you know, you know what commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Notice the word commands is used there, not just suggestions, not just good ideas. If you want to have a healthy spiritual life and sexual life and a properly together, you know, these are just some good guidelines for you. No, these are God's commands to you. A command that is meant for your good and for his glory. And he, he points out, these commands we gave you through the Lord Jesus, this is on the authority of Christ, not our own, that we're, we're, we're coming from, Paul and Silas and Timothy, those that are writing this letter, but it comes from the Lord. He is the 
authority and the source of these instructions on sexual purity. And I will point out that it is through Christ that we've been enabled to please the Lord. But let's settle that priority in our hearts even now. Even, in, even from the place where you're sitting, seated right now, if you have not already resolved, God, I'm going to be sexually pure, I want, I'm going to give you a moment and say, God, I want to be sexually pure. And you can be in your own mind, but between you and God, you don't have to say it out loud. Maybe you've already made that commitment and reaffirm it. Say, Lord, I remember that. I'm so thankful for you speaking to my heart when you did. But let us seek to please him through our sexuality. Here's how I know he's talking about pleasing him. Now, he, the idea of pleasing him applies in all areas of life, but here's where he dives in deeper. Verse 3. For this is God's will. I love it. You've heard me say it before. I love it when he makes it clear what his will is. You know, we, we ask that a lot. I, want, I just want to know what God's will is for my life. Oh, should I go here? Should I, should I stay there? Should I do this? Should I do that? Let's start with what he says. This is God's will for you. Okay, great. This is God's will, your sanctification. What is That's a good churchy word we like to use. It's a good Bible word, sanctification. We've talked about it before, but it is from a Greek word that is used in, in the word holiness. Sanctification is the act of becoming more holy. The act of becoming more dedicated to Christ more distinctly his, more morally pure. So once God has rescued us from our sins, as we enter that relationship with Christ, receiving his forgiveness, he begins to shape us. The spirit of God indwells us and begins to shape us in the image of his son, Jesus. See, Jesus is complete perfection, and he is shaping us to be like Jesus, whole, complete, mature. And that process takes time. But he is shaping us into the image of God. As we were created, God made man and woman, male and female. In the image of God, he created us. The imago Dei, as it has been uh, translated, the image of God may have been broken in sin in the fall, but there's still a vestige of the image of God in mankind. There's something remaining there. And as we come to Christ, it is restored. And it is in the process of being fully realized. So sanctification is the process of becoming like Jesus. So if we say that again, for this is God's will, that you become like Jesus. Does that make sense? That's the command. That's the instruction. This is God's will, your sanctification. But then Paul goes, okay, now that you know that, now I've got to give you some specific things in regard to your sanctification, your process of becoming like Jesus. Are you ready for it? Doesn't really matter. We're going anyway. Okay. And by the way, as we were created to be, the, the whole image of God in us is how we're going to be in eternity. Amen? Yeah, God changes us, and when he brings us into eternity, he restores and makes it 100%. It's amazing. I'm excited about that day. 
But here's the two statements, starting in verse 3. He says, for this is God's will, your sanctification, that you keep away from sexual immorality. If Paul could have been a little more clear here, that might have been helpful. Um, In other words, if we're going to progress in our development towards holiness, towards being like Christ, we must give attention to this area, to this warning, keep away from sexual morality. Point number two this morning, we please God when we abstain from all deviations from God's design for sex. That word abstain is really the word that's being used here. The the CSB translated that keep away. I don't know, I just came from children's camp a little over a week ago, and keep away is kind of a game, right? Abstain. So if you tell kids to abstain, you're telling them different than keep away. I'm not, I'm just picking on the translation. It's not, it's a fine translation. Keep away is a fine set of words to describe that. Just don't do it. Abstain, refrain, stop. But we please God when we abstain from all deviations of God's design for sex. So God is saying that his will for us is to be set apart for him. Hearts that are striving to please him more and more. And when we please God, we're contributing to spiritual health. And and that goal of spiritual health, that work, is certainly for the glory of God. But it's also for our wholeness, our our whole complete well-being. And so the first thing Paul mentions after expressing this is God's will, he begins to say, abstain from sexual immorality. Therefore, pleasing God in our sexuality is intimately related to our spiritual health. But remember, it's more than just our physical actions. We have to understand these words. When he says, keep away from sexual immorality... The word that is translated into the two words, sexual immorality, is the word porneia. Okay? Now, in the Greek, that is a word that is a general word for all sexual impurity. Okay? It can include anything that is outside of the bounds of God's design. So, prostitution, illicit sex, fornication, adultery, and yes, even pornography can be applied. And I will point out in pornography, you realize that one of the things that pornography does, that's viewing sexual images or imagery that trains your brain to react to those images the way that you've been designed to react to your spouse, your husband, or your wife. And that is a deviation of what God designed. We are good at justifying so many things. You see, we might go and and go, well, it wasn't that bad what I saw. Others wouldn't even see that as a problem. But you know that in your heart you were viewing something as a sort of twisted pleasure. Even that would be included in this term, this idea of sexual immorality. It's any deviation from God's design from his boundaries, from his limitations. A deviation is a departure, a diversion from the accepted standard, and it can be subtle. 
misusing our sexuality is powerful. It has powerful, painful results. But it's powerful because it was a gift from God. It was designed by God as a gift that was meant to have powerful implications. The book of Genesis, and then later repeated by Jesus, indicates that a man is to leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. I love the word cleave in the King James. And the two become one flesh. That one fleshness is related. The idea of sexuality is connected to that oneness. It's not the only element of it, but it is part of it. And if you even, this is amazing. This is scientific studies, you know, back in the days this was written, probably didn't even know this, but did you know when, when we have experienced sexual activity, sexual release, that our brains, our bodies produce some incredible hormones and chemicals that make the, these pathways in our brain about experiencing pleasure, and when we do, it, 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 it stimulates these reward systems, it creates these bonding sensations with people, it's part of how God unites a man and a woman to be one flesh for life. I used to give talks in public schools, and I used to describe it like this. You know, have you ever, because young people understand this, okay? I would tell them, hey, have you ever seen that old couple? You know, that the 80-year-old couple at McDonald's? They're just sitting across from each other, just googly-eyed over each other, and just so in love. And you can see that they talk so tenderly to each other. And it's beautiful, right? You can see that. But you go... But do you, if, if I were to ask you, eighth grade student, do you think that that's an attractive man or that that's an attractive woman? You know what, you know what they said, inevitably? No. Yeah, think about how rude eight, eighth graders are. Come on. They're like, no. They're wrinkly. They're gray if they even have hair. And, you know, and then the, they're sharing teeth to eat their McDonald's. And it's weird. <laughs> But I would ask them, what, what is it, what has happened between those two that, that 40, 50 years of marriage together and they're still looking at each other with googly eyes? I just say, sex. It's more than that, okay, I know. But it's part of it. And you know, as I've gotten older, and I know I'm a young guy, thank you for arguing with me on that, I know. But the older I've gotten, the more I've come to appreciate my wife as she ages. I actually think she is more beautiful. I didn't even talk. I didn't get permission to say this. I'm sorry. It's it's a secret. I I think she's more beautiful now than when I married her. All right. Now. (laughs) Oh, boy. Thanks, bud. (laughs) All right, let's go back to that word, keep away. (laughs) No, hold on now. (laughs) What are you laughing about? All right. (laughs) Sexual immorality is any deviation from God's design. 
God's design is good. Do you ever think about that? Do you ever just think that what God designed in human sexuality that's meant, that he intended for a man and a woman in the covenant, in the commitment, in the safety and beauty of marriage, it is such a wonderful gift. Do you think about that? I mean, if I were to ask you guys, who in here likes sex with your spouse, would you raise your hand? First of all, it'd be embarrassing and awkward, but I think, I think a lot of you would raise your hands. Look, my hand's raised. All right? It is a good gift. God didn't just create us with this just so we couldn't experience it. But he says, abstain, keep away from all the deviations of it. And are we tempted by those deviations? Oh, yeah. Let's be honest. For many of us, some of us, it's different. But most of us are going to struggle with some kind of sexual temptation in our lives. The battle in our mind, the battle with our actions, the battle with keeping ourselves from the small, subtle steps away from where we ought to be. But to keep away, to abstain, means to restrain oneself from doing or enjoying something. Now, I want to point out, and I don't want you to miss this, he's not saying to abstain from sex. Okay? Husbands, you are encouraged to have sex with your wives. Your wife, your one wife. Sorry, I'm speaking to a plurality of people. I don't want that to be misunderstood. <laughs> Wives, you are encouraged to have sex with your husband. And it needs to be, and it ought to be something, a whole other sermon, but that, that you together come together and seek to meet the needs of one another with patience, with understanding, with consideration. But I want you to know that this is going to be a battle and when we talk about the spiritual battle, we always have to mention it is against the world, the flesh, and the devil. It is not unique to just one of those three aspects. You see, the world brings all of its messaging before us. You know, the whole thing about sex before marriage, you know, living together and test driving the car. I'm sorry, you're not as cheap as a car. But the whole, have you anyone, anyone ever heard that? How are you going to know you're compatible if you don't live together and experience all the things that married people do to see if you belong together? And if you do, great. And if you don't, then you can move on. See, when you do that, you begin to in, in take a part of God's good gift for a married couple and you begin to bond as one before you've made a commitment to be one. And if you rip that apart, you are asking for and going to produce much pain. But there's grace. And we'll get to that a little bit. Let's get to that in a minute. The world says that sex outside of marriage, even if you are married, it, it, you deserve to be happy. Maybe you didn't marry your soulmate and you just met someone that you think is your soulmate. No. Let the thing of soulmate go. Did God create a spouse for you? Yes, it's the one you're married to. And if you're not married... Keep seeking him for a person that honors God and will please God above you. 
And when you find that person and you marry them, that's your soulmate, if you want to use the word soulmate. But don't be looking for someone that makes your heart do a certain thing or your gut spin in circles or whatever it is you think that means. I used to say to a friend uh, that I would do some counseling with who described these other marriages and things that he saw, and, and I was like, brother, water the garden of your marriage. You see, he's looking at the other side of the fence. He's like, the grass is greener. So water your own, bro. And it might take time. Have you ever had brown grass in Texas? Is it going to turn green with, you know, one watering? No, it's going to take some serious water. Unless God pours a deluge of like 12 inches all at once, and that's happened. But, but it takes time, and it takes investment into your own relationship. But the world will tell us sex outside of marriage, just do it because you deserve to be happy as if sex is what's going to make you happy. Wrong, pleasing God is what's going to make you happy. Sex and gender are fluid and mental social construct is another message of the world. And guys, it's becoming more tempting for more people. They have any sort of question or any sort of confusion and, and the world is saying, yes, capitalize on that. Take that. Run with that. And they're out of their minds, the world is. Or, and guys, I know it happens in our area, open marriages. Guys, that is outside of the boundaries of God's design. I love, I love the, uh, I don't, you guys know who Roger Staubach is? All right, he was, okay, he was a Cowboys quarterback so many years ago, right? And, you know, he was a man that, that, I think he was a Christian man, and he loved his wife, was faithful to his wife, and he was interviewed once and was asked about sex, and he was also being compared to Joe Namath, and, and, he, and he, his, his response was, Joe Namath, you know, you guys have compared us a lot, and yeah, he's a bachelor and having all this good time, but you know what? I enjoy sex as much as he does, just with one girl, and he's like, and I like it a lot. Why can't we embrace what God has given and celebrate it much? Part of the battle is our flesh. See, that's just the world's messaging, and, that, and it toys with our flesh and what we desire or think we desire, but we got to understand in a sinful, broken world, our, our desires are corrupted. And, and the new man that Christ is making in us, the new person that he's making in us, will change those desires as he transforms our minds. But it takes time. And so we have to learn to decipher between which desires are God-given and right and which desires are just my flesh because there's times that they might even appear to be the same thing and sometimes regarding the same desire. But listen to what Peter says in 1 Peter 2.11. He says, dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles, <laughs> you strange people, but you people that, are, that you don't belong in the world, you're just, you're just this strange alien because God has set you from what you were and set you apart into his people. My friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against your soul. See, these desires are actually waging a war to destroy us. And I'm not sure we understand how serious that war is. 
in the middle of a temptation, it just doesn't seem that bad. And then finally, we wrestle with the devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil who corrupts and influences both the world and our flesh. He can plant ideas in a quiet, dark corner of our minds that sound quite pleasing. So, as a rule of thumb, if you have a thought in your mind that you think is, feels good and would be good to do, just a, just a simple test would be, tell somebody. And if that person agrees with you, and okay, tell a Christ follower that's serious about their walk with God. And if they tell you, that is messed up, then that's messed up. And if you find yourself going, I don't want to tell anybody that because that's just, oh, wait. If I'm not comfortable telling somebody that, it's probably not a healthy desire. And maybe it's a desire you can share with your spouse. Between you two, there's a lot of freedom. Remember that the devil's purpose is our death and destruction. And I want to also say that the call to sexual purity is for everyone. You could be young and single. You could be old and single. Do you know, recently, semi-recently, I heard that there are uh, STDs running rampant in nursing homes. Okay, uh, (laughs) easy. Okay. Things change in our body, but our mind... continues on like we're young, doesn't it? Also, for married people, I think that's an obvious one, but so whether we're young or old, married or not, the call to sexual purity is for all of us. And I want to remind us that the motive for abstaining from the deviation, not from the act in the appropriate place with the appropriate person, but any other deviation, any deviation The motive for for keeping away, for abstaining from that is a desire to live and please God. When you, a married man and a married woman, together, spend time together, seeking to meet the needs of each other, and even experiencing intercourse with one another, you are performing an act of worship. I don't want to make worship weird, but you are describing, you are declaring that God, what you designed is good, and I gladly operate within what you have granted, and I praise you for your goodness in it. That's an act of worship. And I seek to honor you, God, and and please you, and I also seek to honor and love and cherish my spouse. But on the other hand, when we want to and do engage in sexual pleasure of any other kind, it is the opposite of worship. It is self-worship. And we don't deserve worship. But I will also say that when we abstain, if we're single, unmarried folks, and we abstain from all, well, all sexuality until I'm married, 
Do you realize that every moment that you abstain and you keep in that heart the resolve to please God and you say, no, not doing that. Did you know that too is an act of worship to our great God? Let us be people that worship our great God. Now we come to the second statement that he says regarding our sanctification. See, in verse 3 he says, For this is God's will, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. And then verse 4, that, you, that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not with lustful passions like the Gentiles who don't know God. So we're still dealing with sanctification and, and sexual immorality in a second yet closely related statement that each of us knows, like we ought to know as Christ followers how to control, how to practice self-restraint of our own bodies. It's part of our sanctification. It's part of being made like Christ, learning how to have self-control, really allowing him to have control of, our, of ourselves. To control something, the Greek word here is it really in inclines the idea of possessing something, of acquiring something. He says, each of you should know how to acquire and possess purity, to possess your body in holiness and honor. Like, he is saying something very significant. He's saying that what you are is something of worth, something of value. It might take some effort, might take some patience, will take self-restraint, but point number three this morning, we please God when we value our bodies the way he does. And not, not just our own, but others around us. When we properly value them, it means we begin to see ourselves the way God sees us. And that is with much value. Sex is a good gift to humanity for within marriage because God designed us as valuable when we indulge in sexual pleasure outside of God's boundaries, we treat our bodies as if they're less valuable than God sees us. We put ourselves at great risk. But when we abstain from multiple partners or from partners that God declares unfit for us, we wait for the safety and commitment of marriage. We actually declare and function as though our bodies are valuable including our sexuality. Verse 4 says that each of you knows how to control his own body in holiness and honor. Our bodies in holiness and honor. He referred, he said sanctification, right? God's will is our sanctification, which is the idea of becoming holy. And he says here, you learn how to control your body in holiness and honor. It's, it's so related. Self-control is a type of restraint that says, I do not give in to every urge of my flesh, no matter how strong it is. And we might have to give careful thought for how we might help keep ourselves out of situations where we might have trouble having self-control. If you're a young man, young woman, you probably don't want to, you know, be in a private secluded park sitting in the back seat of a car. You might avoid that situation. But even then, you do realize there's doors on both sides of that back seat. You can get out and escape. But are we strong enough at that point? It's going to take effort. It's going to take thoughtfulness. It's going to take resolve to honor God and our sexuality. But controlling ourselves, 
Practicing self-control is a practice that is necessary for our development and holiness. And it is a practice that is necessary for respecting the reality that our lives and our bodies have value, much value. Can I also point out drugs and alcohol are factors we have to consider? When we're talking about wanting to be sexually pure, do you realize that alcohol will cause you to be less inclined to protect yourself? It'll cause you to reduce your inhibitions. Drugs will do the same thing. Both over the years have had significant influence over sexual decisions. He says, not with lustful passions. This is verse 5. Like the Gentiles who don't know God. Not with lustful passions. It's the opposite of controlling one's body. When we act with lustful passions, simply giving in to our desires, and sometimes very strong desires, we're acting without restraint and in a way that says we don't value this body, this life that he's entrusted to us. Lustful passions, it's two words there, both talk about a sexual passion. One is a sexual passion, one is more of a strong desire, and put that together, it means a really, really, really strong desire. But he says, don't act like the Gentiles who don't know God. See, God set us apart to be like him. And when we indulge in sexual deviation from God's design, we look just like the world. Gentiles is just people without God. It is actually the word ethnos for it's the peoples and people groups. All those outside of God's family that haven't surrendered to him, these are the people we don't want to imitate. If by definition holiness means being set apart for God, it means that we are devoted to him fully, even in sexuality. If we're young and single, we must practice self-restraint. If we're older and single, we must practice self-restraint. And if we're married, we must still practice self-restraint in the right places. Remember our reason, though, for self-restraint. It's to please the Lord. It's a way of loving him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let me just finish with this. The reality is that we are all sinners. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus died for all our sins. And so if you, you sit here hearing this message in the brutally warm room, it's both, it's both sweating and conviction, okay? It's, it's, but if you're here and God has pointed out that thing that's been in a dark place of your heart and you're, you're wrestling with it and you've kept it quiet, it may be time to say, come forward to the one that loves you. Come forward to the one that has forgiven all of your sin if you're in Christ, don't keep allowing a pet monster to keep tripping you up. A pet venomous snake that keeps poisoning you. Maybe we need to confess that dark sin even today. Maybe you need to find a couple of close friends that you can be vulnerable and honest with. That's a hard thing to do. 
But I'm, I'm telling you that when you will expose those deep, dark things to the light with somebody that you trust, and they're praying for you, and they're supporting you, not, not judging you and making you feel bad for it, but saying, bro, we've got you. Sis, we got you. You're right, that was sinful. Thank you for speaking it. Let's, let's help. We need that with one another. You don't have to come and proclaim to the whole church all of your sins, but come, expose it to the Lord, but usually that needs to be out loud with somebody that is a brother or sister. But I want you to know you can find grace. There is not a better time to turn away from sexual sin than right now. In those talks I would do with students, one of the things I would ask them I would encourage them to make a decision because it's so hard. If you don't know what you're going to do, whether you're going to have sex before marriage or not, if you haven't decided, it means you've decided. You just don't know it yet. And so I would talk to them and try to present this case to them why it's safer, why it's healthier, why it's better for them to save sex for marriage. And I would encourage them and say, look, maybe you've already you've already begin to have, begun to have sex with somebody. Maybe you've had some kind of activity and continued activity. But, you know, think about this. One day you're married. Think, think into the future, young person. And one day you're married to somebody standing at the, or about to be married, standing at the altar with them, for instance, and you, you stand there facing your future spouse, the one you're about to say, I do too. And you know and you can look at them, hey, I wasn't 100% pure in my past, but there was a moment that God got a hold of my heart, and I want you to know from that moment forward, I have striven to be pure for God and for you. Would that mean more than to go and stand before that person at the altar and go, well, years ago I heard this talk and I, I decided well, I've already screwed up and I've already made a mess of myself, so I'm just going to kind of continue on not valuing myself. And so I stand before you today very used with multiple partners and whatever. Which one's better? We just ask them to think, which, which one is better? What would you rather tell somebody? Because I can't decide for you what you want. But I can point out something and you might think about what you want. And I can tell you if I was the one on the receiving end of that, one makes a big difference. And I think when it comes to God and his grace, it's more complete than what that would be like. There's healing and there's forgiveness in Christ. So please don't allow sexual sin to stay in the dark shadows of your life. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I come to you this morning thankful for your word. Lord, I, I pray and I ask from this day forward, would you help us to be a pure people? Father, I, I confess my own sin and failures, even in mind and heart. God, Lord, we need you. Some ways we're so pathetic, sinful people, but by the grace of God, we are what we are. 
So we come to you and we allow you to keep searching the deep, dark places of our hearts. And I pray, God, you would find a place of surrender to you because you're king over it all. I pray that today we gladly and willingly bow our knee and confess Jesus, your Lord, and I want to please you with all my heart. I pray that would be our prayer today. And I ask this for all of us in Jesus' name. Amen.